podcast Thank you for having me, Joe. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Poznanski. And uh, for those of you who are regular listeners here, you know that uh, my uh, co-host, Michael Shore, is, yeah, I don't know, he's off doing like television stuff or whatever, filming season four of The Good Place, whatever it is, these these incredibly uh, highfalutin guys like uh, Michael do. Uh, he will be back, but uh, in the meantime, uh, we're going to keep this thing going. Have a have a cavalcade of uh, great guest hosts uh, in the in the interim while we wait for Michael to uh, finish recording. Uh, really, what I think is the best show on television, in all seriousness. So, uh, and we start with with one of our favorites, one of the best. Uh, we are going to geek out on the Hall of Fame. With the only person that you should ever geek out on the Hall of Fame with, uh, Jay Jaffe. Jay Jaffe, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Joe. It's great to be here as always. That's wonderful to have you. I'm, I'm going to say your name and I'm the, your, your book's name and I'm going to say it in full. I don't know if I said it in full last time. <laughs> uh, Jay, Jay, the author of the, uh, the Cooperstown Casebook, who's in the Hall of Fame, who should be in, and who should pack their plaques, which is uh, outstanding. And uh, you 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 pretty much get badgered for updates on the book, don't you? Yeah, and that's actually a conversation I need to have with my publisher here. Um, you know, I we we never did a paperback version of it, and and I think part of that owes to uh, uh, the particulars of the uh, uh, infrastructure surrounding my book, which um, the the agent uh, the agent who 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 helped me get the deal and the editor who who was on the other end of that both left uh, what they were doing. Uh, within like the first year of the project, uh, long before I ever delivered. And the editor uh, went and became an agent and the agent went and became an editor. And I think it's sure. and, and it just very weird stuff. And uh, so my, my project got kind of stuck in this. Um, it wasn't entirely limbo because it didn't prevent it from being published, but uh, right. it did not have the same kind of uh, uh, champion uh you know either like for, for the way that uh, i think most books uh uh have and, and and certainly deserve i was really all all on my own and and uh, uh even by the end of the project the you know the editor who um uh who edited my book she had left and uh, so it's it was a very um well, I'm, Jay, I'm picking up a couple of bad vibes here. First of all, editors seem to leave you yeah. often. Hey, that seems, I, that's a, and you're married to well, an editor. I mean, actually, that's there's a funny story in that, and that is that uh, <laughs> uh, that Emma Span, uh, my wife, uh, who is uh, uh, the uh, managing editor of the uh, uh, athletics baseball site, uh, national baseball site, uh, stepped in and uh, did uh, a first edit on a lot of stuff. Um, before it was submitted to the publisher and really stepped up and, and uh, uh, helped a lot, especially when, you know, at a time when I was uh, uh, really kind of uh, um, adrift uh, in, in what I was doing. Yes. It needed, you know, it just when you just don't have that confidence because you're not getting the feedback you need. And, and she was like, no, this is good. This is good. Um, well, you, I mean, in addition to, to marrying well and, and above your station, <laughs> we all like to do, you also happen to marry a fantastic editor, so that helped. You weren't going to get a better editor uh, in in the book field than than your own wife. So, uh, so that worked out fantastic. Uh, so, yes, I'm count me down as somebody who is looking very much forward to uh, to the next uh, update of the book. And uh, you know what you really needed to do 
with your agent and your editor was just have them swap. I mean, if they if one was going to become an, uh, if the agent was going to an editor and the editor was going to become an agent, hey, just w- have them swap right I wish, there on I your wish book. It, I wish it could have worked out nice. that way. I really do. <laughs> That would have been nice. All right, let's talk some some Hall of Fame. I know you're bleary eyed. Uh, I am significantly less bleary eyed than you, but I'm also bleary eyed uh, from having written uh, lots and lots and lots of words. But a fascinating, I think, fascinating Hall of Fame class. How fascinating Hall of Fame year uh, and a fascinating Hall of Fame future. So all three of those things, uh, very exciting to talk about. But let's talk about what I think was the biggest news of, of this year's Hall of Fame class, uh, which, uh, as everyone I'm sure listening knows, were four people, Mariano Rivera, Roy Halladay, Edgar Martinez, and Mike Mussina, all elected. Uh, but I think the big, big news is uh, Mariano Rivera going in unanimously. Finally, a player getting chosen unanimously. Uh, first time it has happened on the BBWAA ballot. Uh, what were your thoughts? What, what did you uh, think I, I was I was amazed. Um, you know, I think uh, the lesson of Ken Griffey Jr. a few years ago. Uh, you know, both both uh, Griffey and uh, Rivera had one hundred percent on the public ballots, but with Griffey, we saw three players yes. not vote for him and didn't publish their ballots. Never, uh, nobody ever stepped forward to claim those votes. And uh, uh, you know, I think it was a lesson in uh, accountability or lack of same. And I I assumed that that would be. Uh, a similar case for Rivera, especially because I think it's easier to conceptualize philosophical objections to relievers uh, in the Hall of Fame. We saw actually yes. one voter uh, publicly do that and then say he was pocketing his vote and then reverse course and actually include him and, uh, um, you know, and announce that. So, um, you know, announce that he had had a change of heart. So uh, I think that that, you know, that uh, uh, it was quite a surprise then to see uh, that uh, that he'd gotten 100, percent and and I have to give credit to uh, uh, to Jeff Idelson and the way that they revealed that on the air. Uh, you know that that first they revealed all you know all all the guys and and including Mariano, and then uh, you know late, only later in the call did he did he say that uh, uh, that he's the first unanimous uh, honoree. And I you know this is it was it was good buildup on Jeff's part. Um, give him, yeah, give him credit for that. And that was I, it, cool. just, it was just like holy Toledo. I mean, you know, it's not something that. Uh, is really that big a deal in in one sense, but you know we're reporters. As you know, no. this is newsworthy. We have to cover it until it becomes a non-story. Uh, so you know, I was prepared to say, hey, uh, you know, okay, he missed it, and oh, you know, shake my fist at at uh, uh, at you know the uh, uh, <laughs> the the you know the guys who don't have didn't have the guts to stand behind their votes publicly, and then move on and say, hey, Mariano got the you know X best. Uh, percentage of all time and 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 how about that it's it, it's pretty damn cool and you know they don't you know you're a hall of famer great let's move on and and you know dissect this somewhere else but uh, uh we had that extra layer and uh um you know some people need an explanation for why that happened that cool. and you know that this is not necessarily a um uh a knock on all the other players who should have been in unanimous before just that this was a perfect storm uh to make this this happen this time yeah, well, I mean, there are a couple of things there that did from what you said. One is, I know, both from personal experience with the Hall of Fame and and just from being, uh, you know, some you know somebody who pays close attention like you do, it meant the world, I think, to Jeff Idelson and to the Hall of Fame that Mariano Rivera made it in unanimously. Not so much because they specifically cared about the vote totals because i i don't think they do i think they're cool but but not necessarily you know for them all hall of famers are equal and all that but i think they were really really perturbed 
by how the Ken Griffey uh, vote total overshadowed. I wouldn't say it overshadowed, but it, yeah. it, it put a little bit of a bleak mark on this celebration of a day. I know that. I know from talking to them that that it really bothered them, and and they're not wrong, you know. And and they don't. You don't. You don't even know who to blame. You don't know who to blame the the, the three people who didn't vote for them, or to blame the people who made a big deal. And know, who cares if they're unanimous or not? Doesn't really matter. All these things, but I know that now it's happened. And sure, people might still, you know. Already, everybody's talking about Derek Jeter getting in unanimously next year, and what if he doesn't? And and then it's like, oh, now we're comparing him to Mariano. I, I think all of those things sort of fall aside. Aside, I think the main point and the thing that is that is most significant in in this kind of thing is um, that that it doesn't matter anymore. There's not a reason to not vote for them because they they're not unanimous, right? Right. It's it, it's in some ways, it's almost like what, you know, like watching a no hitter and, you know, you're you're watching you're watching something in progress. It's like, can he keep it up? Can he keep it up? Can he keep it up? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Damn. OK, move along. Let, now let's now let's just enjoy this this ball game here, um, you know, and, and forget about the for, forget about the fact that he was close to a no hitter if we can, you know, you know, because it happened in the sixth inning or the seventh inning or whatever. You know, this wasn't like down to the final strike in this case. It kind of was. But um you know, I think we're just we're sort of uh, uh, prepared to move on from that. Um, you know, and now now I think we fi- we finally get to. That's right. I think I think that's right. And then the other element of this is we all knew that whoever it was going to be, whether it was, I, I really truly thought Greg Maddox was going to be the guy. I really thought that Maddox was the he's a pitcher, which you know history had shown with Seaver and Ryan and those guys that pitchers were more likely probably to get unanimously chosen than than players. Uh, everyday players and Maddox, there was not a knock. There was not a single knock that you could make on Greg Maddox's career. And I thought that's going to be the guy. And then he didn't. And then obviously everybody thought Griffey had a real chance at it and he didn't. And, but my thought was whoever it was, was not going to be as great as some of the players who did not there. You, you can't ever be as great as Willie Mays or Hank Aaron or Ted Williams, you know, because of the legend those guys built up. But I also thought, you know what? Let's put that aside. Nobody's ever going to live up to that. This stupid unanimous thing has gone on so long. Let it be somebody. And then, yes, a few people will complain. Oh, my gosh, it's a reliever. That's the first unanimous is a reliever. What a joke, whatever. But that'll pass. And and this whole unanimous thing will be looked at as sort of like a sort of this weird but but sad chapter and and it's over with now and and we can move on and and just vote for the players based on whether or not you think they belong in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I I I would I would agree with that. I think it's you know this I know that obviously we'll be watching to see if if uh uh if Jeter or you know whoever in the future gets gets unanimous as well and it'll be a talking point, but it's not going to be as big a deal as it was the first time and 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 I think that's really what it what it comes down to. Um you know, you, like like you said, I mean, it's just it's it's ridiculous that Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth weren't unanimous. It's ridiculous that Stan Musial, sainted Stan Musial, unbelievable. Uh, or, you know, Willie didn't come close. Willie Didn't Mays. really come close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's interesting about you know when you look at, at and I found this out when I was researching the book is you know when you look at Willie Mays, um, he had the highest percentage of anybody since Ty Cobb when he was elected, yes. and the same was true for Hank Aaron, and they were you know ninety three something and ninety seven something, um, and. You know, today, I mean, they've been—you know—they don't even make the top ten anymore. Um, they've been surpassed, but um, 
you know, the, the, at the time that that was actually a big deal. Um, and, uh, and it is kind of crazy at that. Um, you know, and I, I've, I've heard the stories and read the stories. And I think even Jeff Idelson told me a version of the story, uh, of Tom Seaver, uh, and the five people who didn't vote for him. And one of them was That's like, right. uh, you know, uh, recovering from, from open heart surgery or something like that. That's and right. was just, right. you know, just plum forgot or whatever. And, and, uh, <laughs> you know, just, and three of them and three of them left him off because there was a protest against Right. Road. Yeah. So the whole thing was, it was ludicrous. Yeah. That, that whole, that yeah. whole thing. So it's just, anyway, I think, I think we've, uh, we, we it's good to see it go, but the stories of, of of how it persisted are do make for an interesting. Yes, uh, side I light. wrote a like like um you know twenty thousand words on it. It was crazy. Um, okay, <laughs> so uh, here's something I've just noticed. I've just looked at this thing because I uh, so I have up on my screen. I've got the top. You know, I have the whole list right. The baseball reference page for the Hall of Fame, and I, I you know you look and there's Rivera and Halliday and Martinez, Musina, and then right behind them, sixty one percent for Chilling. 50, well, 60% basically Roger Clemens and then behind him Bonds and the rest. But I started looking at it. I don't know why my eye got caught this way. I started looking at the at the column under batting average and suddenly you look at the top six batting averages on the ballot and they are 0, zero, zero. That's Rivera. Rivera <laughs> did not get a hit. Uh, although he did have an RBI, I, I, which is which is crazy. He walked once, I guess. Um, right. Uh, 124. 173, 151, 173, 312. So, so Edgar really looks good when you compare him to the other <laughs> vote getters uh, in the uh, who got into the Hall of Fame. Uh, but I, but it is, it is something. Do you think there is, you know, especially coming off of the PED era, do you think that right now voters' minds are much sort of more square on pitchers than they are on hitters? Last year we did have a big hitting class with Tommy going in and and uh uh and with Chipper going in and all that. But do you think that right now because the PED thing messed up so many guys on the ballot that that you know the voters are just a lot clearer on pitchers you think? I think I I I wouldn't go so far so far. I think you know you go back to let's just I mean considering uh, all of the people who've gotten in since the shutout, uh, let's see, 2014, it's two pitchers, Maddox and Glavin, uh, and one hitter. Uh, the next year, it's it's uh, three pitchers, one hitter. So yeah, you've got you've got that. But then two hitters in uh, uh, 2016, Griffey and Piazza. Sure. Uh, three hitters in 2017. Um, it's uh, it's three and one last year, and, including a reliever. I mean, we have seen what we have seen is a flood of pitchers of starting pitchers get in relative to uh, you know the period uh, before you know especially pitchers without three hundred wins. We've now gotten four pitchers uh, short of three thousand wins. I mean, three hundred wins where we had uh, none between uh, nineteen ninety one when when Fergie Jenkins got right. in uh, alongside Gaylord Perry uh, and two thousand eleven when Blylevin got in. Um, there was, you know, there there was nobody uh, who didn't have 300 wins who gotten in, and now we've got four or you know five, including Blylevin, in, in you know in this uh, uh, in this millennium. So I think, you know, it, we've it's actually been a good time for pitchers. And yes, maybe something uh, about the steroid era has you know that has something to do with the steroid era because obviously we have not uh, let uh, the top home run hitters of the era uh, in, with the exception of of, of Griffey, uh, Bonds, Sosa. Uh, 
McGuire. McGuire. Obviously, it's it's too early for for a Rod, but he's not going to get in. But um, you know, a a significant chunk of the uh, you know the of the expanded 500 home run club is is you know is a long shot to get in because of the because of the PEDs. Um, You know, Sheffield's down ballot. Um, Manny. You know, Manny's uh, you know got the got the right. two failed tests. So yes, right. it, it's you know there there has been I think an emphasis uh, on rewarding the pitching, and hopefully I think you know a change in standards away because you know there's so much uh, the job of pitching is so much different now. Um, you know, pitchers aren't completing games. With, you know, obviously that's where, where the, that's where Halliday stood out because he was kind of the last uh, the last guy who completed a significant percentage of his games. But um, you know, we we now understand that uh, uh, you know there's so much it takes so much team support to get that W, offensive, defensive, um, you know, and bullpen support uh, that we've moved away from uh, using wins as the sole yardstick or the primary yardstick, and we're looking cl- more closely at run prevention, adjusted for error, uh, wins above replacement, strikeouts, uh, things like that, um, and you know we're finding that hey gosh, there are a lot of damn good pitchers from this era. And some of them did get to 300 wins, um, but not all of them did. But we're finally, you know, we're finally recognizing the best of them. And, and that's really cool. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, and I think that's sort of, you know, I was, I was sort of making it a little bit facetiously, but I think there is something real here. And and that is, I think that the voters uh, in general seem to be, and with, with the, there have been some, some, you know, blips along the way for sure. I mean, the whole, Morris Blylevin thing was 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 you know something of a blip, but uh, seem to be adjusting to what pitchers have, are becoming. I mean, you know, you had that stretch where you did have three hundred game winners in Maddox and and Randy Johnson, but Pedro didn't have that many wins, and 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 so that sort of set a, a little bit of a thing. But it doesn't feel like that same adjustment because, as you point out, yes, there have been quite a few hitters who have been put in the last few years, but. Um, very rarely on first ballot. Last year was was very interesting with Chipper and and uh, and Tommy both again. Chipper was was definitely going to get first ballot. Tommy, I think some people questioned that, and then he got in easily. But and you know, but Bagwell took forever, and Piazza took a little bit of time, and you know, Tim Raines took forever, and obviously this year Edgar took forever, and and uh, you know, unless you're unless you're a hitter on that Ken Griffey, Chipper Jones type of of. Uh, of uh, scale. I mean, I guess Pudge Rodriguez got in first ballot as well, but you know, that's in, in a lot of ways because of his defense and all that, uh, you know, unless you're, unless you're on that scale and, and as you know, that clean and whatever, I mean, it's, it's tough. And, and, you know, Edgar, there's really no, there's really no, you know, sort of steroid whispers about him. And, and there really aren't that about Larry Walker. There really aren't about, uh, you know, a few of the guys that, that are, you know, struggling Todd Helton, you know, didn't do that great. I don't know. I mean, do you feel like even though we've been talking about this and talking about this forever, that that the voting is still seems unsettled when it comes to hitters? Well, I think just part of it is just still the ballot backlog. You know, a reasonable yeah. person could look at this ballot and easily come to the conclusion that there were more than 10 people he wanted to vote for or she. Sure. Um, you know, and and uh, having to had to perform some kind of triage. And that's, you know, if you're uh, even if you're just going by Jaws or or, or if you're going by something else, um, you know, there's 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 a lot there. And, uh, um, you know, the non-obvious hitters 
uh, are probably the, the ones who suffer the most, especially because, you know, these guys get on sort of a conveyor belt in terms of the predictable uh, climbs. And I think you can look at Messina. Obviously, he I mean, he started very slowly, just 20 percent to 20.3 20. percent in 2014. Crazy. Uh, but uh, three uh, 10 point gains out of four. And suddenly, um, you know, he was uh, uh, close enough for uh, the voters to close ranks around him where they weren't. Uh, close enough uh, for Schilling. I mean, you know, Schilling had a one-year head start. Obviously, the self-sabotage, um, you know, with his uh, 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 obnoxious public persona, uh, you know, set him back a couple of years. He would have beaten uh, uh, Messina to Cooperstown because these guys tend to progress in orderly fashion, and it's just sort of a matter of of, of waiting your turn. And now, you know, we go into next year where Derek Jeter is the only uh, plausible. Uh, uh, first ballot candidate, at least, and and probably the only Hall of Famer coming in on that ballot. And suddenly Schilling's in the catbird seat here because he's at 60.9%. And, um, and maybe sure. Bonds and Clemens uh, uh, get a little bit more uh, momentum going uh, uh, because they're next. And obviously it's good news for Larry Walker and, and probably for Omar Vizquel, who seems almost a lock to get above 50% next year. And, and uh, um, you know, and, and, uh, uh, we'll see some of those down ballot guys that were, you know, that either we as or the stat heads or, or uh, the traditionalists who are wondering what the hell's going on with Jeff Kent, um, you know, well, the rising tide's going to lift all those boats in some ways. Yeah, I think that's right. And and, and I want to talk, go into a, a little more detail on next year's ballot, but let's, let's talk about two other things on this year's ballot. Um, the first one is, is the obvious one. And that is Clemens and Bonds, very, very little movement this year, very, very little movement last year, really, really very little movement the year before that. So really two or three years of, of stagnant, uh, you know, for, for those guys. So, um, they have three years left on the ballot as does Schilling. Schilling seems in, to me at least, to seems to be in, in better shape because as much as, as there are lots of people that don't want Schilling in the hall of fame, uh, I don't think anybody really sees it as an on the field issue. And I, I don't think that at the end of the day that people are going to just be able to sort of spitefully keep him out of the hall of fame, just because, you know, they don't want somebody who's kind of obnoxious or somebody who might embarrass uh, the game or somebody who might, you know, who knows what he would do, you know, on, on the stage. So, uh, so, but, but with that in mind, Bonds and Clemens face a very, very different issue. In your mind, putting you know, looking into the crystal ball, what happens? That's a really to those good guys? question. I mean, if I if I knew, I would uh, uh, I'd be making money at uh, in Las Vegas on it. Uh, hopefully, um, right. I think obviously that there's two ways there's two ways it can go. Um, both of them have gained. Uh, it looks like less than six points, about five and a half points over the last two cycles uh, after gaining. Uh, mm-hmm. some maybe 17 points over the previous two cycles. And in 2015, uh, the, sorry, the 2016 ballot, you had the sunsetting of the older voters who tend not to support those guys. Uh, in 2017, you had the right. election of Bud Selig and the cognitive dissonance produced by uh, honoring the commissioner yes. who presided over this whole mess and had more to do with it than any single figure. Uh, and, uh, and, and these two players, um, you know, and suddenly people changed their minds, you know, and, and, and the vote totals went up. And, you know, last year you had uh, uh, Joe Morgan putting, you know, putting his thumb on the scale on the hall's behalf to plead uh, uh, otherwise. And, right. you know, what we're seeing when you look at the Hall of Fame ballot tracker is that not many minds are changing. Um, there were only, I think, uh, of the 232 ballots 
that were published uh, before the election. Only three of them represented uh, voters who had switched from a no last year to a yes this year. Uh, we've seen voters, um, yeah. uh, first time voters, I think it's 31 out of 36 uh, for Clemens and 30 out of 36 for Bonds over the last three years uh, uh include those guys. But, um, you know, it's from a mathematics standpoint, it's more meaningful to flip a no to a yes than it is just to add another yes, uh, uh, right you know, where it is. And there's not enough turnover. It seems like there's not enough turnover in the electorate barring a, a large influx of voters that I not sure I can foresee, although we're getting into, uh, no. uh, the period of time when, uh, the folks from the analytical outlets like like Baseball Prospectus have gotten the votes. It's, uh, um, you know, Christina Carl got her first, first ballot this year. Keith Law, an alum of PP, got his first ballot this year. Um, I'm two years away. Uh, you know, there's not a ton of us, but but there are more, uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the websites that, sudden, that, you know, that started to get uh, included in the BBWAA, uh, that was 10 years ago, more or less. And we are going to see, you know, maybe right. more – uh, more new first-time voters. Obviously, it's a volatile time in the industry. We're seeing job losses left and right, and that has uh, uh, caused some attrition because of the way the BBWA makes its rules. It's got to be 10 consecutive years. Um, uh, but I don't think there's enough enough turnover happening uh, to change the outcome yet. However, I, I do think I do think it's going to take some some uh, some kind of uh, external event. And I think the one you can look at uh, is who's coming on that 2022 ballot. Uh, and it's Alex Rodriguez who missed a year because of a because of a, a suspension that was well warranted, um, and then you've got David Ortiz who right. reportedly failed the 2003 survey test but was exonerated more or less by the commissioner during his 2016 retirement tour, by you know when he acknowledged that there were ambiguities that were never resolved. Now you can look at those guys, and I mean, in the eyes of Major League Baseball, there's there's more heat. Uh, or you know, there's you know closer you know that to to them uh, than there is Bonds and Clemens. It's it's that you know Bonds and Clemens you know could not be disciplined by Major League Baseball, and the the voters feel like it's their job, or certain faction of voters feel like it's their job. And maybe it's true that there's a big enough filibuster to prevent their election. But I do think you're going to see some weird gymnastics going on on that 2022 ballot, and I think it's, at least some people are going to have to rethink their positions. Because, you know, if they've if they have. Uh, tried to establish any kind of coherency, uh, co- sorry, coherence uh, in what they're doing, they, they might yeah. have to reevaluate that. I mean, for me, my line is, um, you know, what happened before testing and suspensions were in place, and by which I mean Andro, uh, Balco, um, uh, and the survey test, that's Wild West stuff. And if Major League Baseball couldn't discipline them, it's not my job to do it. Uh, and then, you know, if they had a suspension, um, you know, then – or whether it was for, you know, for, for failing a test or for getting caught otherwise with the, you know, the, the, uh, like, like, uh, um, you know, Manny Ramirez and the, uh, the, the pro- progesterone or whatever, whatever it was, the, the, the other banned substances that, 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 sure. that can, that can cause a flip, um, you know, then, then fair game to leave, to leave them off. Um, you know, that's the distinction I draw, but not everybody has that same consistency. And some people are, you know, Hey, performance only, I don't care right. at all. Right. Um, and, and there, there, there are logically consistent positions, but there, and there, but there are some that aren't logically consistent. And I think a certain percentage of voters will have to confront that in 2022 if they, if they haven't before then. Well, I think that's, I think that's the hard. First of all, it has been. I mean, to be fair to everybody, it's been hard to to maintain a logically consistent position through this whole thing because because there's no we know so little. You know, there's so many things we don't know, and so many things we'll never know, and. 
And, uh, you know, when you're, when you start talking about those wild, wild West days before testing, you know, I mean, you can, you can, I guess say, okay, look, nobody, I'm not, I'm not voting for anybody. I guess that's logically consistent. You can say, okay, I'm not voting for. Well, that's how. That's part of how we got Greg Maddox not Greg Maddox exactly. not being unanimous. Exactly. I didn't say it's a good position. I just said it's logically yeah. consistent. Then there's the. Then there's the. Well, you know, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. Uh, the ones that got sort of kind of caught. You know, the ones that 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 the whispers came out about, or the ones that uh, you know, in the, in the case of Bonds and Clemens, where it went to some sort of legal proceedings or whatever. Those people, I'm going to separate them from those that eh, they. Pro- I never really heard anything about them. And I don't know how logically consistent that is. That seems to be the the prime position of most of these these people um, who are you know who who want to you know and and that's fine. I mean, look again, like I said, I don't think there is a logically consistent position that everybody uh, can can hold on to when when we don't know anything, but. I don't want those people, and and I've had, and I know you've had it as well, to say, look, all I want are clean players like Ken Griffey, and I don't want, you know, and and you're like, well, how do you know? And and I'm not, I don't think Ken Griffey used, but I mean, how do you know? You don't know anything from right. from that time period. So so that's so that's an issue, uh, I think. And then you're right. I think post drug testing, uh, it's different, but but again. What is the logically consistent position? Is it if you fail the drug test, you are, in my mind, permanently banned from the Hall of Fame? Okay, if if that's the case, then all right, you know, then you're going to have to ask some very hard questions about David Ortiz, right. even though you know we don't know, and and he has denied it. And you're right, there there certainly, and it it never should have come out in the first place. It was right. it was you know it's sort of a weird it was that weird. Uh, test to find out how many people were using percentage wise or whatever. So we don't know, but if you're going to be that, you know, say, okay, look, I'm not doing a one year or two year, you know, sort of like suspension in my vote. I will never, ever, ever vote for them. They will, they do not deserve to be in the hall of fame. Then you have to ask some very, very hard questions about a lot of people. And, you know, it's look, it's, it's an, it's a, it's not an impossible situation. It's just a difficult situation to find some sort of some sort of center ground. And you're right. The last year that Bonds and Clemens are on this ballot is going to be a real test. But if I had to bet, I don't I don't think that they're going to get voted in. I really don't. I mean, yeah, maybe I, 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 I think I, I think I probably yeah, I think I probably shifted my my opinion from, you know, especially with when because they were tracking about five five or five or 10 points ahead of, of where they were in the previous uh, uh, public ballots. I was like, okay, yeah. maybe they are going to regain some momentum, 62, 63%. You know, they're not going to get 71%, but 62, 63 seems possible. And then, you know, you're, you're probably on your way. Uh, you got to gain about five points a year and then you got three years to do it. And okay, that seems doable. Um, but yeah, the, the, the rate of, the rate of growth has, has slowed down. And now I think, you know, a, a, a betting person would probably, say they're they're less than even money to get there and and then who knows what happens when you get to the small committees because let's face it the hall of fame can stack that deck any way they want oh, they yeah. can count those votes oh, before yeah. a single person goes in that room i have yet to see a committee that the hall of fame put together that would vote either one of them yeah i just haven't seen them put together that committee uh we saw when mark mcguire came on that ballot uh, yeah, i don't even know if he got a single vote i mean it was it was it's uh it's going to be, it's, you know, and look, uh, we, we, we make the bed, we lie in it, you know, that old, uh, that old chestnut, but, but it's, uh, 
it doesn't look good for them. All right. The second question about this ballot that I have um, very specifically is Larry Walker, uh, who did make a nice jump, but perhaps not as big a jump as we thought he would based on the public ballots, which were really, really uh, steamrolling for him. And he did very poorly uh, on the private ballots, around 40 percent of the private ballots, which is nowhere near what he needs. Um, I think you look at this ballot and you, you know, I think we can, we can, we can look at this who's on here now and go, okay, you know, Viscal, so much time at 43%. I, I think Viscal is going to find the votes. I think it's going to happen. Uh, Jeff Kent, 18%, seventh year coming up on the ballot. Yeah, it's going to be tougher. Roland could get rolling. <laughs> see that little rolling 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 yeah yeah there you go it could happen but it's you know he's 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 got a he's got a lot of people to convince maybe viscal helps him in the end of the day um helton not a bad first time on the ballot but we'll see i mean it's it's that's he's in no man's land the rest of them are not are not going to make a push but larry walker nice improvement maybe not as much as we hoped but there's only one year left is larry walker going to get into the hall of fame Oh, that's a really good question. I'm mean, nibbling on my fingernails for 360 whatever days it is to, until uh, you know until we find the answer and and uh, uh, you know getting in people's ear uh, when I'm not doing that because because he's going to need that kind of outreach. I think it's 87 votes more or less uh, that he's got to find. Um, you know I, what's remarkable is that this didn't seem plausible even you know let's just say 370 days ago or whatever it is. That's right. Um, That's right. Because he had, uh, he was at 22% in the, on the, on the 2017 ballot, then he got to 34% and now, you know, 54.6%. Um, he's had some of the biggest two and three year jumps of any candidate in modern history. Uh, amazing. you know, which, which is, which itself is pretty remarkable, but he needs to equal what he did this year. And that's obviously a very, very tall order. Um, at the same time, a lot of people came around on him and, you know, we see this over and over again. When people start to turn their heads towards a candidate, other people, you know, they tell their friends, they tell their peers uh, and, you know, and, and there's some there's some convincing. And, and that's, you know, especially in the age before social media, that's how it works. Like, oh, you got him on? Oh, OK, well, tell me. OK, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. OK. Yeah, I think I'll think about him next time. And, and maybe they'll, you know, they'll go home and they'll do that extra research. They'll read that extra article or or whatever. And and that's how minds change. Um, you know, the difference now is I think a lot of those minds are being changed by people who are outside the electorate. Um, that's probably, you know, the, the single biggest thing now. And, and really over the last maybe 10 years or so with, 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 with the hall yeah. of fame voting is that people is that these voters have, have become, you know, more exposed to the outside opinions that, that had the potential to change minds. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that the, the, the holdouts will be taking a longer look at him. They will be thinking about, you know, because I've heard from voters who said, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I like Larry Walker a lot. I think he put up great numbers. I'm, I, I'm a little suspicious of the Coors Field numbers. I'm a little suspicious of the, um, you know, of the fact that, that he, you know, was not durable and that he had a reputation for, for dodging right. uh, uh, the tough lefties. And, you know, and, and we can express some of those things, uh, uh, you know, with, with our advanced metrics. I mean, he had, uh, um you know, roughly equivalent share of uh, uh, plate appearances against lefties as, as uh, uh, you know, the recent, the other recent left-handers uh, who, who got uh, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, um, you know, and, sure. and as I, as I said, uh, and I know that this was cited by at least one voter, um, that, 
you know, despite his less than perfect attendance, uh, he uh, produced equivalent value uh, to players who are, uh, you know, who went in easily to the Hall of Fame uh, because, you know, because of their major milestones like Dave Winfield. Um, you know, and he produced more value than, than, than Dave Winfield. So it's things like that. If, you right. know, those easy hooks, uh, I think are, are, you know, are really do help change minds. And I think he's got them. And I think, you know, the, the fact that he was a five tool player, the numbers support the fact that he was excellent in the field and excellent on the bases in addition to being, uh, uh excellent at the plate, you know, we, we, we can show all this, uh, and it's not, uh, um, you know, I think fortunately for this one, we're not talking, we're, we're not talking about a DH, you know, we're not talking about steroids. Uh, we're just talking about pure performance. And, and, you know, the question is uh, Coors Field, but we have, you know, we have other numbers and let's face it, you know, the, the defense and the base running are basically park effect proof compared to the batting. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and, and that should stand out. And so, you know, I think there may be, there, there's, there's obviously some, some malleability there. And I hope, I, I hope it comes together. And I think the positive examples we've seen for, for, for bonds, I mean, not bonds, Jesus, um, for Reigns, <laughs> uh, Tim Reigns in 2017 and Edgar Martinez this past year, uh, for the way that, uh, uh, the electorate, uh, um, uh, coalesces around those, you know, the consensus, uh, for the final year to, to because they don't want to be that guy, uh, that right. holdout that, that, that left them off and saw him finish with 74%, um, that, that will help, you know, and, and you look at the, you look at the controversial guys we've been talking about before bonds, Clemens shilling. We can't count on that. I don't think in the same way. Right. Um, but for Larry Walker, I think we might be able to, and, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful on, on that front. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's just a long way to go. I mean, I think that's the the for him, if he was up in the 64, 65%, if he needed 60 votes, 55 votes or whatever, um, you know, I I think I think there's enough. It's going to be tough. I he's got a shot. He's got a shot, which is as you mentioned, you looked at this 2 years ago, you would never have thought that. So that's great. I will say this though. Uh so again, I've just got the I've got the screen up for the baseball reference page and you know you can look down at each column or whatever and i was looking and just kind of uh, across the, the thing i look under his ops plus it's a 141 ops plus which of course does include uh course field that's the whole point of ops plus is that it's in context so that's a it's a it's fantastic it's a fantastic ops plus and i'm looking at it and then i look and i go wait a minute the guy above him is a 182 ops plus like who is that and you know, I'm just kind of oh, it's bonds, you know. And it's I it it makes me it makes me think if you're not if you if you're sort of a non like you don't care about baseball, you're not a baseball fan. You you, you maybe you're from you know you, you maybe you were even around for any of this. You know, you you moved here from Australia or something, and you start picking up baseball, and you're like, oh, this is pretty cool, and and you start looking at the Hall of Fame, you're like, it's pretty good. You would look at Barry Bonds, and you'd go. Wait, he had 762 home runs and he has a 182 OPS plus and and what is on base percentage for his career was 444 and so why is he not in the Hall of Fame? They, you don't want to right. you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to even know. It's just that's you don't want to have that conversation. All right, let's go to 2020 because there there are uh, a couple of things that I think are really interesting. One you've already broached, um, but. Let's talk about it uh, at, at some length. One is the, the first thing is Kurt Schilling. He he is going to be the 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 best pitcher on the ballot who is not in any way associated with steroids. He has his own controversies 
which we don't need to go over again. But that's a that is a you you mentioned it earlier. That's that is the catbird seat. That's what you want. You want to be the best pitcher. And I think in my view, he probably was even with Musina. I I had him just a touch ahead of Musina in my mind. Uh, although both well well above the Hall of Fame line. But now it's not even close. Nobody, nobody is anywhere near him other than Clemens, who who is his own category. He's he's there at the top. He's it's impossible to ignore him anymore. Uh, it's impossible to put him in the well. You know, I I, I might have voted for him, but I only had ten, and I I thought ten were better than him or whatever. Does he get like a substantial jump, if not all the way to the Hall of Fame next year? I mean, I think it's going to be close for him. Um, I, I really do. And, you know, I think that, that there's maybe there's some people who are like, you know, if I just, you know, bite my tongue and include him on my ballot, he'll just go away and we can stop talking about yeah. him. Um, which I might feel that way. I mean, I left him off my virtual ballot this year, more for ballot management purposes. I wanted right. to highlight the fact that Billy Wagner is just a guy who can't catch a break and and, and include him really? uh, to, 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 to to call some attention to to his candidacy, sure. uh, knowing that, you know, if I had a ballot and Kurt Schilling was at 51%, I could in good conscience leave him off, even if, yeah, I'm going to hear about it, you know, from the, from the chowderheads. Um, and I did. Um, but you know, I just have up nothing but upraised middle fingers and I could do that all day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm well, I'm well trained with those. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I still, I still fight, I still fight the question of, as to whether the, whether I would include him on my ballot. I mean, I'm not a fan of the character clause. I think it's, it's pretty worthless if, uh, uh, if it was written or the brainchild of judge Landis who, uh, spent, uh, uh, his entire 24 year tenure, uh, upholding the color line. I don't think he has any say uh, about anybody's morality or, or, or character. Um, you know, so, but I do think that, uh, uh, you know, the stuff that Schilling has said and advocated for is beyond the pale. I mean, you know, just cozying up to white supremacists, things like that. Obviously we don't want, we don't need to, to, to go into it, no, but there are things right. I, if look, if I can't look somebody in the eye because I include Kurt Schilling on my ballot, then I'm probably not going to include Kurt Schilling on my ballot. You know, that's like, that's flat out. I don't, you know, I don't want to have to explain that one to my daughter. I can explain Barry Bonds to my daughter a lot easily, more easily than I can explain Kurt Schilling to my daughter. Um, you know, so uh, whatever, it'll, it'll, it'll come to that. And if he gets in next year, then I can at least avoid having to, ha- having to, uh, uh, <laughs> to confront that, that question myself yeah. because it'll already be in. And, and, and uh, uh, when I get my ballot in 2021, that won't be a problem. There is something there is something that people miss a little bit and and you know it's it, it's hard to it's hard to you know to say it this way but it is something people miss. If if baseball writers had been allowed to which they were not but if they had been allowed to and voted Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame in 1994 whatever his first year was in the ballot I think it was 94. We wouldn't be talking about Pete Rose every year. Pete Rose would be out. Maybe he'd just be a guy in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, his, he would not be, he would not be like, nobody would care about him, whether he, you know, gambled in gays in the hall of fame. It's fine. Don't care. Right. It would be, it would be over. Um, and there's something to be said about that with Schilling. Now you have to endure sort of the year of, of Kurt Schilling, right? You have to endure that. But once he's in the hall of fame, that's it. The conversation kind of ends. And I do wonder if there's something, something to that, you know, if there's something, I think if a player is good enough to be in the Hall of Fame, as I believe Kurt Schilling is good enough to be in the Hall of Fame, I, you know, I 
I would love for the Hall of Fame to be able to have options to control, you know, how they how they give out the award, whether or not you're invited to speak. I mean, they should have they should be able to have that kind of control. They really don't. And and, uh, you know, that's just that's just sort of the way it is. It's it's become this great honor. You get this great day. You get to give this this unbearably long speech, no matter who you are. And and it's it is what it is. That's what the Hall of Fame has become. But I, I think there are two questions. I think there's the one question. Is Kurt Schilling a Hall of Fame player? Yes. In my mind, yes. Same thing with Barry Bonds. Same thing with Roger Clemens. Same thing with all those guys. And then two, do they deserve the honor of being put into the Hall of Fame? And it's a much uh, less interesting question to me, and it's a much less tidy question to me. Um, but regardless, I think he gets somewhat close. Uh, Jeter will go in, obviously, uh, if not unanimously, really close to unanimously. But there is a third guy who I'm actually really surprised how early the discussions have started about him, and that is Bobby Abreu. And I'm very interested to hear because Abreu falls uh, a bit short in your jaw system. And uh, I'm very curious to think what you think about about Bobby Abreu's Hall of Fame case. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, and I know people have, people have asked me about this on Twitter. Uh, one of the Mets accounts uh, I did a, a, a an interview for uh, asked me about him. Um, Bobby Abreu has a Jaws of 50.8. Uh, Gary Sheffield, 49.3, um, uh, is, is on the ballot. And Gary, and Gary Sheffield is, 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 is below him, uh, because the defensive metrics for him are just absolutely horrific and so They're bad, atrocious. so bad atrocious. that it's fair to be suspicious, uh, you know, of, as with any out statistical outlier, you got to wonder how, how precise can this really be and what's going on here. And then, you know, right. I made a point when I write about Gary Sheffield at length to, uh, look at other, um, you know, other fielding metrics and, and show you that, wow, these differ by 74 runs or whatever. Um, yeah. And so I think maybe we're being a little bit hard on Gary Sheffield here. With Abreu, it's, there's, there's, seems like there's much less discrepancy. I have not looked closely at other fielding metrics. I mean, he's, he's definitely, you know, comes in a below average defender um, during the, uh, uh, the defensive run saved era, but uh, has two really strong seasons, maybe outliers unto themselves, uh, you know, when we've got, just total zone, uh, you know, before 2002, 2003, whichever, you know, uh, DRS or UZR, whichever you're using. Um, and he comes out as more or less an average fielder. I think it would be very hard for me to put Bobby Abreu above Gary Sheffield in my personal pecking order if I'm not considering the PED question. And for Gary Sheffield, because uh, we're talking about Balco here and not a failed test, um, I would I would vote for Gary Sheffield before I'd vote for Bobby Abreu. And... Um, because, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm convinced that Gary Sheffield is one of the greatest hitters who's ever walked the earth. Um, and the numbers, you know, put him significantly above Bobby Abreu, um, and we're dinging him on defense that, you know, and, you know, to, and to, to the extent else, that, yeah. uh, uh, almost seems ridiculous. Um, and, you know, and so I, I struggle with this and, uh, you know, even if I'm not, even if I'm not inclined, uh, to give Gary Sheffield that boost. I can probably still find 10 guys I, on that ballot that I think are probably, you know, just on, you know, on straight up, uh, 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 you know, Jaws have, have stronger cases here. Let's see, let's see. I, I, it's been a couple of days since I looked at this again, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. 
I mean, he's 11th in Jaws. Sammy Sosa is the 10th. Uh, I don't include yeah. Sammy Sosa because Sammy Sosa is below the right field bar too. Uh, you know, less than a less than a full point, less than half a point ahead of Bobby Abreu, and I leave him off. So, um, and he's got the higher peak. And you know, when in doubt, I look at the peak, uh, the seven-year peak score. Uh, because there are guys who fall short of the Jaws line who have the, a, a peak well above. Roy Halladay was one of them. Todd Helton is one of them. Andrew Jones is one of them. Uh, they're all pretty close to the line, um, relatively speaking, uh, you know, in terms of Jaws at their position. But they're well above on peak. And to me, you know, I can see that as a, a perfectly reasonable justification. And Bobby Gray is kind of a low peak guy. Uh, lower peak guy, not that much lower. He's just uh, actually just a couple points lower. Left field, uh, the bar is relatively low for that particular uh, stat. He's yeah, 1.3 uh, uh, wins over a seven-year period. So you're talking like two runs a year. Um, you know, so I can I can see voting for him, right. um, and I worry about whether he's going to survive to a second ballot. But you know, it, I think he's really stuck because unfortunately, you're talking about a guy who only had two All-Star appearances, only had one Gold Glove. Um, yeah. Never an MVP. Uh, yeah, I think he's got. Race. Yeah, and I'm just like well. But way, 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 way down ballot. Well, it's interesting to me. Let me, you know, I think here's here was here's sort of my thought on Abreu. Um, I think he was a, he was a terrific player. He he's not a Hall of Famer for me. Uh, you know, he's close. He's right around the border. I could be convinced he's Fred McGriffish to me. Uh, in in that way, he was he was a unique player in in having power, mm-hmm. speed, and walks the way he the way he did. Um. But here was my here's my thought. I I was exactly where you were. Where I'm like, boy, you know, I, I he certainly should be stay on the ballot. Should certainly stay on the ballot. We should be talking about Bobby Abreu for the next few years. He he was good enough that he's absolutely in the conversation already. Just you know, enraged that we're not talking about Kenny Lofton or or some of the other guys that have fallen off the ballot. Lance Berkman this year was a guy that 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 I guess some people really were upset fell off the ballot. So I don't want that, but. Here we are a year beforehand, and Brian Kenny has already come out swinging for Bobby Abreu. And surprisingly, I did not see mm-hmm. this coming. My friend Bill James has come out swinging for Bobby Abreu. I'm no longer worried about him falling off the ballot. I'm I'm thinking now that, you know, th- those are two very influential voices, obviously. And I'm wondering now if people are going to start taking him, like, very, very seriously as a Hall of Fame candidate which is fine if they do, and, and I'm more than willing to be convinced, but I'm with you. I look on this ballot. I see Larry Walker. I think he's a better player. I see Manny, clearly a better player, although obviously we, we know about the steroid situation. I'd vote for Andrew Jones first. I'd vote for Sammy Sosa first. I'd vote for Gary Sheffield first. Those are just the outfielders. Uh, I'd vote for Todd Helton first. If we want to start talking to others, I'd vote for Scott Rowland first. So, you know, and obviously Barry Bonds is 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 a whole other thing. So I do wonder if, in fact, if this is going to go from, hey, I sure hope Bobby Abreu gets respect to Bobby Abreu kind of be getting an Omar Vizquelish like, wow, there's 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 a lot more support there than I expected. I doubt that's going to be the case. I really okay. do. Even with the endorsement of Bill James and, and, and uh, um, you know, and, and Brian Kenny, I, you know, I think maybe it's a bu- enough of a bump to um, uh, uh, to keep him on the ballot, you know, just the same way as I think. A lot of us were able to help out Billy Wagner and keep him in play, uh, and I'm proud to to have have have, have played a part played a part in that. Um, and I continue to support the idea that uh, he's he's worth a long look. Um, and I'm starting to think, especially when we have three three relievers that went in 
uh, and that he's pretty much somewhere in the middle of those of the standards that we're now that are now starting to to uh, uh, be able to sketch out. Um, you know, and I'm you know as I'm coming to a methodology that includes Jaws but is not limited to Jaws with with relievers because I've never been entirely happy with relying just on Jaws for for relievers. But right. with Abreu, okay, you know I I think it's, it is legitimately possible he's one of the ten best guys on the ballot. And I would think about voting for him, especially if I'm not going to include Manny Ramirez, uh, which, which, you know, which I have not, or, and, or Sosa. you know, again, Sosa, it's, it, I think I would still probably, I would probably prefer to vote for Sosa than Abreu just on the grounds of the fame aspect. And, and, yeah. you know, the, if the two are, are dead, even in jaws and one of them is more famous than the other, well, you know, it's, I, I'd have to think about that, especially, you know, given uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the type of the allegations that we have against Sosa versus, you know, versus uh, uh, some of the other ones like Manny and, you know, you know, failed positive tests that actually counted. Um, that said, I look at the Jaws rankings here for right fielders. And let's go down here. Um, let's start. Number 14 is Tony Gwynn. He's a little bit below the bar because his defense wasn't good. Um, you know, and because batting average tends to overrate guys, but you know, it's mostly because, you know, because, um, he just wasn't a power hitter. So, and, and this is a very right. steep, he was a very high bar at, 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 uh, uh, in right field, because you've got Ruth, Aaron, Musial, Ott, and Robinson, all of whom had over a hundred war, uh, atop the rankings. And, and they kind of skew this. So this is the highest, uh, highest uh, position, but you've got, to- so sure. you've got Tony, uh, Tony Gwynn at 14. Then you've got two guys, Dwight Evans and Reggie Smith. Uh, at 15 yeah. and 16, who made almost no dent on the ballot and have stronger right. credentials than, than, I think, than Bobby Abreu. Dwight Evans with all those gold gloves, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, tremendous defensive prowess, uh, unheralded uh, in his day uh, in terms of being an on-base machine. Yes, helped by Fenway Park, but we can adjust for that. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, he's Bobby Abreu with better fielding. Uh, basically, um, right. almost almost identical OPS plus one twenty eight to one twenty seven there, um, but better defense. Uh, Reggie Smith, uh, you know, it's uh, you know Smith was a center fielder initially, and 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 a, and a pretty darn good one uh, with the Red Sox, and uh, um, you know bounced around through the, through the uh, Cardinals and the Dodgers, earned All Star berths all three places, had uh, uh, was part of uh, uh, four World Series teams. Um, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, had, uh, you know, a couple big series, uh, uh, three home runs in the 1977 world series, two home runs in the 1967 world series. I mean, you know, I remember Bill James making a case for Reggie Smith, the other Reggie, uh, in the new historical abstract. And that, you know, I, I loved Reggie yes. Smith as a ball player. Cause I grew up rooting for those, uh, uh, those late seventies, early eighties Dodgers. Um, so I have a very sure. soft spot for Reggie, for, for Reggie Smith. And, you know, if you're telling me that the Bobby Abreu is not quite, uh, up to uh, uh, Dwight Evans and Reggie Smith, then, you know, and we're only talking, you know, a point and a half uh, or a point of jaws here, but, you know, he's, he's below those guys. And, and, you know, it's, I guess it just gives me a little bit of pause. Those are, those are guys who, who not only do they have slightly better numbers from a sabermetric standpoint, although Abreu's got the higher peak and it's, again, you know, I've said just early in this podcast that I do, you know, I do, I do maybe uh, uh, lean towards peak, but those are guys who had gold gloves and all-star appearances that were, I think, in accordance with their talents. And, you know, that, that perception I think is, is, is part of the, you know, is part of the equation because it's not just the hall of stats. Um, and I do want to take, 
you know, what the player was thought of in his day uh, into account. Although, you know, it's not, that's not always the most fair thing to do, but um, it's a, it's, it's a piece of data that I want to incorporate into my analysis and, and to, and to understand and, and, and place in context. So I don't know. I, I really don't know. I will have to think about this. And, and, you know, I came around on Wagner in the process of putting together his 4,000 word profile and, you know, learning about how he was actually naturally right-handed and broke his arm twice and learned how to throw left-handed and grew up in right. this incredible poverty. And, you know, these guys, you write about them and they become, you know, you know, separate from who they are. They, they're also, you know, kind of characters in my book or whatever, or characters in my, in my, in my narrative. And, you know, you start to feel a little bit more, um, uh, you know, empathy towards them. And, and, and when you're able to state their case and it, it strengthens in your mind, and maybe I'll feel that way about Bobby Abreu. Maybe I will. Well, uh, and I, I like, I'm not, I'm definitely like. not ruling that out. So we'll see. I have, yeah. I have, uh, uh, 11 months to think about it now. And, uh, um, I'm going to be doing my research on him. Well, that's good. I mean, I think we, we all will, and we all should. And, and, uh, I, I don't know. I think, I think for me, you know, and you, you mentioned the right fielders and I think that's right. Uh, I see Bobby Abreu and I and I think about how absurd it was that Kenny Lofton fell off the ballot yeah. after one year. I, I just you know, and obviously you can stick in different positions. You can you know, but I think you you look at a lot of outfielders that um, you know that just haven't gotten in or, or really never even were were given much of a much of a, a case, you know, they really didn't get their, their time in, in front of the uh, jury. And, right. and that's sad. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, Andrew Jones on this ballot, he seven and a half percent. I mean, yeah. if Andrew Jones can't get anywhere where, why are, you know, I, I'm not, and, and he's got a much higher peak than Bobby Abreu. I'm, you know, I should, I want to be shouting from the rooftops for Andrew Jones, you know, and can I shout for Bobby Abreu too at the same time? It's, it's tough. And, and it's a matter of, you know, where can you focus? Yeah. And you want to, you want to keep them in line, right? You want to keep them in the order that you've, that you have them in your mind. And I don't know, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's gonna be very interesting. And, uh, and I can say right now that if we are talking next year, I might have completely changed my mind right now. My gut feeling on, on Bobby Abreu based on, on the limited amount of research I've done and, and, uh, remembering his career and all of that is he falls just below the line for me, but that could change, and and uh, we'll see. That's it's. I think next year's ballot is going to be very interesting because there is only one guy that is uh, going to uh, definitely get elected. So I think we're going to see a lot of movement. That's going to be exciting. If you had to make one crazy prediction about next year's ballot, what would it be? Crazy prediction. Yeah, something we're not expecting. Something because you know we all have uh, sort of. Okay, okay. Let's say if I'm going to do crazy prediction, I'm going to say that. That um, actually, let me th- let me think about this for a moment. <laughs> you, you're gonna get yourself in so much trouble. The, yeah. the, the okay, crazy crazy, ad- crazy prediction yeah. that Larry Walker makes it and makes it with room to spare. Wow, I love it. I hope that I so hope that I, I, it's it's an aspiration. I mean, let's see. It is an aspiration. I, I, at least that. I have at least I have the the ability to play some small role in making that happen. Oh, I would love that. Um, so, I would love so, that. So now the onus is on me to to to, to do that and uh, uh, maybe to, to change a few minds here myself. Get out there and push. That's awesome. Jay, thank you so much for uh, for joining. Remember, uh, Jay's book is uh, the Cooperstown uh, Casebook, which you can pick up uh, on uh, Amazon or uh, preferably a uh, a bookseller near you. Uh, Jay, thanks so much, and we'll do this again. Uh, when we come around uh, to the Hall of Fame again. All right, sounds great, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's always uh, it's always a blast to uh, talk Hall of Fame with somebody who's as big a nut about it as I am. <laughs> it's always fun. Thanks, Jay. All right, sure. <laughs>